Two days ago, I saw a vehicle that had hauled that tanker. You want to get out of here? You talk to me. minute where anything worth doing is worth doing big in mad max to the road warrior one minute at a time i'm rick and i'm julia and today we're talking about minute 77 which begins with several raiders heading back to claim the unguarded compound and it ends with the compound dwellers looking back at that compound as they drive away i feel like that description lacks <laughs> an important detail an important uh, aspect of this of, minute right of what happens between the opening <laughs> shot and the ending shot <laughs> that happens a lot when i'm trying to distinguish between what starts a minute and what ends a minute is that the very important things often get lost by the wayside so we wrapped yesterday with a shot of the crest of a ridge and a bunch of raider vehicles driving over it we start off today with Two motorcycles and one buggy out of that group stopping. And there's one, I think he's a smegma crazy, the sort of raggedy dressed raiders in the buggies. He stands up, he looks back at the compound and he points and everyone stops. And we turn to look back at the compound and the rest of, I would say, the civilians in the compound are driving away in their caravan, leaving the whole thing just wide open. You know, the caravan almost got away with nobody noticing that they left, mm -hmm. which I find very amusing. The whole distraction plan was nearly flawless. Yes. You could argue that it's entirely flawless because those raiders that see the caravan leaving, they don't chase after them. They don't care no. about the people. Which I think is a little bit odd. Because Humongous made it so clear and said it in plain words that nobody is going to survive. He is going to kill every last one of them. Everyone? Everyone. Everyone! <laughs> I imagine that these raiders are not quite so gung-ho about the murder every last living person plan or declaration that the Lord Humongous made. Because I got the sense, and this is just me projecting because they say nothing and they only drive around and celebrate, but I look at these raiders and I see people that are concerned with the long-term survival of the Horde because they drive around the wasteland from day to day and they scavenge and they rape, pillage, and burn and all this other stuff. But they don't exactly have a home. And so these raiders look at the compound and they say, excellent. This is a fortified position. It's got the moat. It's got the tire wall. It's got the gas. We can set up shop and have a new home. And they drive as fast as they can to get back to this compound. And they go through that gate and they are so happy to finally just <laughs> have this compound. I love that they're, like, patting each other on the back. Oh, they are like congratulating hugging. themselves. Oh, it's so, so hard. great. The level of celebration that's going on here. There's the two raiders on the motorcycles. They park their bikes. They get off, and they are clapping each other on the shoulders. And there's one who just raises his arms, outstretched, thanks his lucky stars that he can be so fortunate to be in this situation at this exact moment because how could it ever be ruined? Oh, they're just 
asking for something to go wrong. Exactly. Something that I love, a detail that I missed the first umpteen times that I watched this movie and this minute, and I just noticed it on the last viewing. When we're watching the Marauders ride in, in the foreground, you can see the explosion setup. The cluster of red wires and whatnot taped to a pipe. You can see it, but you're not paying attention to it because on the other side of the pipes, the marauders are riding up, getting off their bikes. We change point of view then, uh, but it's right there in the foreground. We can see how large it is and we can guess how extensive it it is. Mm -hmm. So this material, this cord that Mm -hmm. we can see, it's not expressly said in the movie exactly what it is, but what it looks like is detonating cord, which is typically used in demolition and military situations because it is a, for simplification purposes, it is an extremely fast-burning fuse. I think I remember seeing that it burns at about 6,400 meters per second, which means that if you light one end of it, the whole thing just goes. It's not like the slow-burning fuse that we see as the raiders are congratulating themselves. There's that one shot of just the burning and hissing of a fuse as it goes along a pipe. No, this stuff is what we see when that fuse reaches the bundle and the whole thing just breaks apart and starts essentially exploding. And it's the kind of thing that I don't necessarily see the compound having a ton of. And it's an interesting thing that... They display it so prominently, and I think it's just one of those details where we don't need to worry about where they got it. Like, where the people in the story got all of that detonating cord. In the production, they got it from the military. Exactly. (laughs) It was very controlled Mm -hmm. and very organized and very, well, safe and lots of oversight. The explosion that is about to happen was planned down to essentially the smallest detail just because it was going to be so massive. And I can't remember if it was the commentary or the Road War documentary where they were talking about bringing in the military to handle this explosion and how either it was the stunt department or arts slash props department that were upset that this was being taken away from them and that they weren't the ones to be able to run it and be in charge of it, but it was so volatile and so large that they couldn't legally handle it themselves. I would imagine it was probably the effects department who would have been in charge of something like this. Putting myself in their position, especially having seen what the explosion ended up looking like, I would want no part of it. Oh, yeah? They're like, oh, military, you can have this. Mm -hmm. I will focus on crashing the rig and almost killing people over here. (laughs) You guys can have exploding the compound. Right, right, right. The fuse that we see burning along the pipe, it gets to this giant bundle of detonating cord. And the only instance of stuntmen being near explosions is that first initial series of explosions where the deck cord flies across the yard and they blow up the pump. Yes. It's a series of I explosions was, along the ground and then... I was wondering about that because it the way it's cut, it's cut so quick mm-hmm. that the effect is that you really think they're there. And so I was wondering how on earth they did that. So they did it with just some smaller explosions mm-hmm. with the stunt guys actually there. Based on where the stunt guys are standing and where the explosions are happening, they're not right next to the explosion. 
it's mostly a lot of dust and smoke, and then a lot of the pyrotechnics are back towards the pump, and so it's just them having all of this stuff go by them, and then them reacting to it. And that was kind of the initial explosive shot. I think the most dangerous thing was the thrashing around of the bits of debt cord that you see here. I really appreciate that George Miller decided not to use the trope that actually he used for the toady, that they see the bomb, realize that there's going to be an explosion right before the bomb goes off. Mm -hmm. They did not do that. These four guys had absolutely no idea what was about to happen to them. Yeah. I like that. It's clean. Mm -hmm. There's no personality there. These are just four lackeys who happen to turn around and notice that the dwellers had gone and entered the compound. I feel like with the toady, you had to give him that little moment of, oh no, it's a bomb before you send him off just because he had such a presence beforehand. Yes. As for the explosion itself, it has several elements to it that I'll run down and then we can talk about shooting it and how that worked because MadMaxMovies.com has an amazing page all about this explosion. The way it works is that we see the explosion go across the yard. The four guys are, oh no, everything's exploding. And then we got to a wide shot and we see the distilling tower and the walkway attached to it just blow out in spectacular fashion. Oh my God. This whole sequence is just awe-inspiring as far as its scale and how they did it. So the distilling tower goes first. We cut over to a wide shot looking towards the front of the compound and the fireball from that distilling tower is huge and there are barrels and when you see debris being thrown up into the air in this scene that's actual debris those are actual 55 gallon drums being thrown hundreds of feet into the air we see another shot after a short cutaway but when we come back to this explosion there is a gigantic fireball that erupts from the right side of the frame and it shakes the camera it is so forceful Oh, I love that camera shake. It could have been something that they did artificially to represent what a large explosion it was, but that's not what happened. It is genuinely from the shockwave of the explosion, and it makes it feel so much more real because it is real. You're absolutely right. It was 100% real because of all of the work that Grace Walker put into building that set. It's a little sad because he put so much work into it. And then they just completely destroyed it. After the huge fireball shakes the camera, we get another angle where the pyramid garage itself goes up in its own fireball. It just explosion after explosion. There are so many elements to this thing. And then there's one more shot of the explosion in this minute where it's just more debris being thrown up into the air. And there's one particular piece of debris in the left half of the frame that gets thrown out of the compound and you can see it flying through the air towards the camera <laughs> it's not flying straight at the camera it's flying off to the side of the camera but even so these cameras are very far away from this explosion they were very careful about distance and where they could be and the fact that debris was still reaching them gives you a real good sense of how massive it was turning over to madmaxmovies.com the Filming for this explosion happened on Wednesday, July 22nd, 1981. They planned on the explosion happening at 2 p.m. sharp. They had six scenes planned for that day, with the fourth one being the explosion. 
they were very careful to patrol that area and make sure that there were no unwanted people wandering in because of how massive the explosion was. So they got the police involved, shut it down, made sure the onlookers were far, far away, and they very specifically picked careful vantage points. In an interview that Emil Minty did, he said that the vantage point that he was able to watch the explosion one was very unfortunate because he was behind a hill, so the only thing he got to see was the fireball and the smoke. People have said that Emil was in tears because he didn't get to see the full effect of the explosion. Oh. Going back to the explosion, the force of it was expected to be so great that they shut down really all of the mining industry in that area. That day, none of the mines were open to prevent the situation where that explosion caused a cave-in. They didn't want to lock anybody underground. Wow. I'm wondering about the financial aspect of that. Does the production have to pay the mining companies for the lost day of work? Yeah, that's a good question. Or is it sure. because this is now a military operation, the military says you shut down for a day, you shut down for a day? Yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty sure that's a deal that would have to be struck between the mining company and the production company. Yeah. So the plan was for a massive explosion designed to totally outclass any that had come before it. The desire was for a double-barreled effect, a combination of a huge fireball coupled with the explosive impact to level the compound and shoot all of that debris up into the air. In the explosives industry, these are mutually exclusive things. You either get the fireball or you get the destructive force. And so they had to bring in experts from both of those fields to make sure that they got both elements. And so they set it all up. They put a special note on everyone's production flyers that no one was to be using walkie-talkies just to ensure that no one accidentally set off the explosion before everything was ready to go. And then, of course, they had to evacuate everybody with the exception of those people driving the vehicles in the caravan because we do get that shot of the caravan as the compound explodes. Oh gosh, that's right. Those people were closest with probably the exception of the cameraman and pilot in Byron Kennedy's production helicopter who were hovering over the compound as it explodes. I'm guessing that the footage probably didn't come out as good from the helicopter because a lot of the shots that we see are taken at ground level. Yes, they are. As I mentioned, there are five different wide shots of the compound exploding in this minute alone. And all of them are fairly on the level with the ground. I'm guessing the force of the blast probably shook that helicopter in such a way that just the camera shot didn't look good. Yeah. Which they say right on the Mad Max movies page, which I've been reading from this whole time. This hasn't been all my original stuff. They get all the credit for the stuff that I've been saying for the last couple of minutes. But they say that the best view of the explosion is literally just the footage that they put in the movie. They covered it so extensively and from so many angles that the full majesty of this explosion can really be enjoyed by simply watching the movie. You don't need weird behind-the-scenes stuff or anything like that. As this compound is exploding, we get a shot of the civilian caravan driving away. The curmudgeon, who I believe is driving the bus, stops to look back at the explosion. First question, does he stop driving? No, he keeps he driving. He keeps going with his head stuck out the window looking backwards. Yeah, he okay. breaks that cardinal rule about looking behind you as you drive or do something. Okay, yeah, that's kind of what I thought. So he's watching the explosion. We also get a shot of Rebecca and Arky 
sticking their heads out the window, watching the explosion. I wonder what is going through their minds mm-hmm. right about now. I have two ideas on how they might feel. First, I wonder if this is an emotional send-off because this compound has been their home and their safety for quite some time. Or are they glad to see it go because the last few days and week or so have been particularly stressful? I got the impression that it was the first option. Mm-hmm. That watching that compound explode was akin to something like watching your childhood home demolished. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid... This was before the turn of the millennium. My family and I, we lived in a house that was very old. A house that had been built early 1900s, maybe late 1800s. I was never quite sure exactly how old it was. But the floors were not level. The whole thing was starting to come down. It was just not very safe. We couldn't have Christmas there because the living room just couldn't take the weight of our entire family being in there. And so what we did is we built a new house next to the old house, and then we brought in a demolition company, and they poked in the roof and collapsed in the walls and basically shoved the entire thing down into the basement and then leveled it out. And the house was just gone. And it was a very surreal thing because for the couple years over a decade that I'd lived in that house, that's all I'd ever known. And to see it torn down was just strange. Because we had the new house, we had a place to live, and yet it was weird to see the place that I had called my house reduced to nothing. And I feel like it's sort of the same for them. It didn't upset me. I wasn't crying as it fell down. But then again, I'm also not that kind of person that gets emotional easily about things. So it's hard to say 100% this is exactly what they were feeling. But I imagine it's just a surreal sensation. The idea like, yeah, that was our safety and our refuge. And now it's gone. And it's gone in such a magnificent fashion. I also wonder if these three as civilians really knew or understood the extent to which this compound was going to be destroyed. Right. Were they surprised by this explosion? It makes you wonder how involved they were. Right. In the planning aspect of this. And who in the compound was a demolition expert that set this up? Yeah. That's, I think, another instance where we have to dispel our (laughs) real-world scrutiny. Because no one else in that compound really struck me as a demolitions expert. And I think as viewers, we're supposed to believe, oh, well, everything was full of gasoline anyway. In-universe, I suppose it was a much simpler setup than it really was. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, movie explosions, they always do both. They always have the force and the fireball. Where in reality, those are two separate elements that have to both be considered. Right. It's the fireball that puts butts in the seats. Right. Like... Hollywood explosions are like 90% gasoline. (laughs) But it's the force that throws all that debris up in the air and levels the compound. So, yeah, you really do need both. Mm -hmm. But in-universe, they just needed a bomb to go off near some gasoline. The whole thing was going to blow. Yeah. I like to imagine one or two compound dwellers magically having all of this deck cord and setting up these fuses. (laughs) And then as the tanker drives out and leads everybody up that hill all the vehicles are lined up ready to leave and there's just that one guy with an open flame lighting that fuse and then just beating feet out of there as fast as they can 
knowing that there is a slow burning fuse happening in that compound, it makes me a bit surprised at how slow the caravan was driving out of that compound to begin with. Yeah, I agree. They probably timed it out. The raiders certainly had enough time to get in there, dismount, and celebrate, and the caravan was far enough away that they weren't affected too much by the explosion, but even so, just knowing that there's a burning fuse behind you makes you move a little faster. I don't think I would have had as much patience as they seem to have. Yeah, talk about a stressful cap on a stressful week. (laughs) That makes me think that there was probably an element of relief Mm -hmm. that the plan had mostly gone off so far without a hitch. There was still some some more of it to go, but the compound exploded and none of them got hurt. So I'm sure there was some relief for them that that had gone as planned. Yeah. They don't know how the other part of the plan is going. Nope. They went in opposite direction as Max and the Rig and Papagallo. So they have no idea and they won't have any idea until that part of the plan is completed and any survivors meet up with the caravan. Right. They're just going on faith that they will see their friends again. I wonder if they have a backup leadership plan. If Papagallo doesn't return, who is going to be in charge? I'm sure they must. They must have had a discussion. You know, I don't want to get too far ahead because that is a topic of discussion that we can have i want to say minute 92 yes when the narrator starts his end of movie narration one of the first things he says is how they found a new leader in the gyro captain so i don't want to get too much into that process because i don't want to steal content from later on down the way absolutely we end this minute with the curmudgeon his head craning out the window of the bus as they drive away When we start tomorrow, we're going to get one more hurrah from the compound before we leave it behind forever and move on to the actual chase part of this end of movie chase. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy and presented by Warner Brothers Pictures in association with Village Roadshow Pictures. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. You can follow Mad Max Minute on Twitter at Mad Max Minute, on Facebook at Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone, and at MadMaxMinute.com. And finally, if you would like to contribute to the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, click on the support link at the top of the page, and check out our Patreon to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for a minute. 77 of the Road Warrior. We will see you tomorrow.